Hello and welcome back to Civispacium. This entire episode we dedicated to NATO, as NATO takes new responsibilities and in general is way more visible now than it used to be, let's say, 20 years ago. It's interesting to come back to its roots, its history and analyze the purpose of its creation and just in general to talk a little bit about the Cold War and just how NATO and whether the NATO was important during the Cold War at all. Then we discuss modern history, namely zeros and 90s, and try to understand how the purpose of NATO was created and just in general try to understand this awkward situation when when the Soviet Union fell but the NATO persisted to exist and all this confusion, uh, try to understand how this confusion led to the current crisis between Russia and NATO. And lastly, we just look ahead and try to predict further developments uh, between NATO and Russia, between NATO and China, and just try to understand NATO's purpose at the moment and also how the NATO play out in the future. So subscribe to our channels, uh, share this episode with your friends if you like it, and as always, enjoy. Welcome back to Civis Pacem. Hello again. In today's episode, we're going to discuss NATO. Uh, and we will split this episode in three parts. Mainly, first and third part, we will discuss uh, like the historical history of NATO uh, during Cold War, its origin and stuff like this. In the second part, uh, we will cover this period of time uh, straight after Cold War until maybe some more or less recent developments. Then like, uh, talk about um, NATO's future and just NATO's current situation. Uh, so I'm really excited to talk about NATO because uh, it's, I guess, interesting topic, but also because we are like from countries so, like Russia is the main antagonist of NATO and Poland, uh, one of the main, main, I guess, champions of NATO. Uh, yeah, frontline states, as they call it. Yeah, so, I mean, literally and... Uh, and also symbolically and through ideologically, I would say, yeah, Poland is very important Absolutely. for NATO. Uh, all right, I guess, um, yeah, let's uh, first first history, um, which basically, as you know, it all goes back to uh, after World War II period of time when uh, Soviet Union and um, the US started having troubles uh, in dividing the world and just uh, I guess like the, the the Soviet like the fear of Soviet Union and Soviet expansionism was very very acute in like 40s uh, so America the US decided to create this uh, institutional mechanism institution that's called uh, North Atlantic organization um, which basically was I uh, built an idea of uh, democracies working together against uh, the spread of communism, but of course also against totalitarianism. Uh, and I guess like the point is, if you just look at first members of NATO, they were really afraid of countries going going communist, uh, because the, th the thing is after after the victory, the Soviet victory in World War Two, because the Soviet Union uh, paid such a big price, uh, such a big um, um, 
it, it, it like it was such an influential uh, country after the World War Two that of course it was obvious that uh, they thought oh well you know uh, Italians can uh, went uh, Italians could go uh, communist uh, Greece could go communist Turkey could go communist I mean basically there was uh, the fear of every country turning communist France as well for example of course uh, because. And Greece. Greece, yeah, uh, because obviously the ideas of communism were very, um, were very, um, people looked at those ideas as something interesting to adopt, to apply. And um, of course, NATO emerged, I guess, not only as, of course, as a, as a defensive bloc against uh, Soviet threat, because it's, it goes like to this uh, fifth article, which says that, you know, attack on one member is attack on the whole alliance. Um, but it's also, of course, like geopolitics and in general, the uh, American um, fears of uh, losing control. And of course, it was combined with the Marshall Plan, with this massive uh, help to Western countries um, to kind of like build up the economy after the World War Two. So I guess uh, the history is rather, um, is rather uh, I would say, clear why it um why they created and built up nato um but i guess still one I, there's a lot of there's so so many arguments in terms of whether it was like rational there was like really the need to create it because then there was like united nations and there was this idea that countries should um basically solve their problems peacefully via multinational institutions like the United Nations, but then the U.S. created NATO and Soviet Union followed suit with his uh, with the Warsaw Pact. So, Vavo. Yes, but it's it's inter interesting um, that you mm, we talk about the Soviet uh, military threat that was uh, perceived in the West, and um, when we look at um, the reason for creation of NATO, I would say that it's um, based on a misperception of. Um, the, of communism, basically, and the Eastern Bloc. Uh, people at the end of World War II uh, really didn't know much about the uh, Soviet Union. Uh, for example, when the American war planners were planning a war against the Soviet Union in the 50s, they had to rely on maps of Russia from before World War I because they had such a scarce uh, intelligence about Russia. And the threat, Russian threat was really exaggerated. Uh, they thought that Russians had uh, way stronger military than they did. Uh, they feared that they're just going to roll over Europe. And it's a threat that was shared by the entirety of Western Europe, not just the US. Uh, the first, first people who actually wanted to create NATO was France and Britain, who signed some bilateral treaties to for common defense. Um, so the communist bloc was perceived as a threat, not just militarily, but also politically, as you mentioned. Uh, communism is a very universalistic ideology, and unlike, for example, Nazism, it's very uh, excluding. Only one country can be really Nazi, you know. But communism is universal, and people fear that communism would spread to different countries, as we saw the uh, civil war in Greece and uh, the communist coup in Czechoslovakia. So NATO also had a political dimension, uh, to protect spread of communist ideas, because back then the communist bloc was perceived as one. So, um, yes, this is an important issue, and I think we also should talk about Germany and NATO in this period, because it's a um, very heated topic, it was a very heated topic at the time. Germany, as you all know, was divided into four occupation zones between uh, 
east and the west, and the future of Germany was uncertain. And um, the Soviet Union really feared uh, Germany that would be reunified and brought back online. So um, the same thing was the concern of the West. I think it was the first, yeah, it was the first general secretary of NATO who said that the purpose of NATO is to keep the Americans in, the Russians out, and the Germans down. So I think it pretty much um, sums up the ideas of the early uh, NATO. Yeah, I guess uh, it's yeah, it's it's also important that it's uh, as as I said before with the Marshall Plan and also the creation of European Union uh, a little bit later. But it was like the complex of measures aimed at um, sort of creating this idea of the common West because it before NATO it actually didn't really exist. I mean, of course. Uh, the U.S. saw itself as uh, the continuation of the West in terms of, I mean, they basically descendants of uh, British colonists and stuff like this. But, you know, the idea of West is something united and uh, never existed before. So it's also, NATO is also important for this dimension of uh, like creating idea of the West, because when we talk about the West, we think about mainly NATO, even though some people, of course, can say like, yeah, well, Japan is as well, like South Korea, but the core of Western idea and Western countries is of course it's like in Europe and it's like transatlantic link between um, the US and um, um, Europe but also I guess it's important to mention that it's the first alliance for the America the, the, the United States it never before uh, felt the need to commit itself to any sort of alliance because uh, it's a little bit realistic agenda and uh, of course the US didn't want to be involved in troubles uh, just because of someone else. But then they kind of rethought this idea and yeah, created the biggest alliance <laughs> uh, in the world that could even imagine um, accumulating all these powers. And uh, um, it's interesting also, as you mentioned, yes, yeah, Soviet Union disembedded uh, 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 in t uh, how you call it, like this communist, there was like a communist organization. Uh, it existed, uh, of course, during the 30s, uh, Lenin created. Uh, in yeah, international. Yeah, in international. And they, uh, at, the, at, the, at the end of the World War II, um, Stalin basically, dism, dism, uh, um, so he just rejected this idea of, uh, you know, of spreading communism, so to speak, because like, he basically disembedded this uh, organization, Comintern, which was an, uh, which was kind of like one way you can see Stalin uh, trying uh, not to be div divisive and not to be not to cause this whole conflict that uh, finally happened, uh, but yeah. Things worked out as they yeah, did. <laughs> so it's it's nice that you mentioned this Soviet perspective on this, um, because um, a revisionist approach to the history of the Cold War says um that the Soviet Union wasn't really either capable or willing to expand further uh, at the end of the of the uh, Second World War, and um of course it's hard to judge intentions, but when you look at the capabilities, the Soviet Union suffered enormous losses. They lost almost 20 million of their citizens. Their industry was wrecked in the Second World War. Um, and um, even if they were willing to start a war with the West, they might not, not have had the capability, um, which Winston Churchill pretty much understood as he was contemplating the idea uh, of a war between the West and the Soviet Union, which was ultimately rejected. Um, yeah, Winston Churchill wanted to free the Eastern European countries from the Soviet yoke. Uh, and, and they understood that the Soviet Union was extremely weakened after the war. And you can see this um, 
in their foreign policy as well, um, when they were pressured by the U.S. to withdraw their occupation forces in Iran, they did so. Uh, they were also pressured to withdraw from Austria, and they did so. Uh, the regions in which um, the Soviet Union was really taking hard stance against the West was places where it didn't cost them much, such as the Berlin blockade. It didn't cost them much to blockade Berlin, uh, and they could start an international crisis reasonably with a reasonable price on the cheap. Um, and um, I think it's important to keep the Soviet perspective in mind because not many people remember that in uh, 1954, excuse me, the Soviet Union actually petitioned to join NATO, uh, which everybody was shocked in the West. Why would the uh, Soviet Union want to join NATO? The Soviet proposal was to create sort of a, like a collective security arrangement. So we have an alliance and one member of the alliance attacks the other, the rest come after him, which this uh, this uh, petition was obviously rejected because the West viewed it as um, some, you know, subversive actions. But the Soviet Union was really afraid of Germany, as I said. And um, at the moment when West Germany was admitted to NATO, they said, um, okay, this is a threat to us. We need to to somehow, sometime, somehow counter it, and that's how the Warsaw Pact was born. So um, you can see that the structure here is really at fault, like both sides were afraid of each other and maybe inflated the threat from the other side. The Soviet Union was certain that NATO was an offensive alliance against it, even though it was not. Um, and at the same time, uh, at the same time, the uh, West feared Soviet expansion. So a lot of misperceptions here. Yeah, I totally subscribe to your words. Maybe, as you said, it's like kind of both sides to blame. And also you can also, like for example, if you take just Western perspective or American perspective at that time, they were really afraid of, like uh, the, the uh, Soviet Union had uh, massive troops. Conventional forces were way, like way bigger in Soviet Union than in entire Europe. And in terms of conventional army and conventional forces, uh, uh, Soviet Union championed. And the only way you can defend from this uh, kind of like the, the potential aggression is, of course, uh, nuclear weapons and this idea of sharing nuclear weapons also with other states. And basically, they uh, heavily relied until like 60s and even early 70s on um, like a nuclear deterrent with relations uh, with the relations uh, um, Soviet Union because uh, conventionally Soviet Union was way more superior in terms of its forces uh, and also the, the structural forces and the whole organization uh, system of uh, Soviet army was way better uh, way better let's say organized uh, for conquering Europe if they of course wanted but then of course it's also maybe the um, the question of perception whether they really want it or not yeah it's um it's really uh it's pretty obvious that the soviet union was in a way better position to dominate europe if they wanted to they don't have a huge ocean uh through which they have to project power so yes the u.s did rely heavily on the nuclear deterrent especially president eisenhower he pursued this policy of massive retaliation basically saying hey soviets if you even you know cross one tank into western germany we're going to use nukes against you so you better don't do that um so it's interesting uh how yeah, as we're going back to the main issue, is both sides were uh, scared of each other. They both were certain that the other wants to invade, uh, which was not really true. But 
both sides had reasons to believe so. So the West was scared of the Soviet Union because, let's be honest, the Soviet Union did acquire a lot of ground after World War II. They basically subjugated the entirety of Eastern Europe. And this was a signal for the West. This is an expansionist empire. They want to expand. Um, and at the same time, the Soviet Union had uh, signs that the West was preparing to attack them by creating NATO, by bringing the German army back online. So... Both uh, countries were taking mostly defensive steps, viewed those defensive steps as offensive from the other side. Yeah, I guess uh, that's how it truly was in terms of, uh, it's like just like the series of uh, misconceptions and misunderstanding and they're just reading. But there was, of course, uh, the whole impetus for this uh, division between the West and communism in terms of like these two universal, universal ideas in the world. And also, of course, the U.S. Uh, I guess offered um, Soviet Union to join, like World Bank, and it, it also refused. So it was like understanding that the two systems in the world—it's um, an important issue because they basically kind of both advance like very different ideas to each other. Um, yeah, and I guess uh, I guess throughout the, the history of uh, Cold War, uh, of course, NATO and both Warsaw Pact played very crucial role and um, in terms of Warsaw Pact I would say as I mean you are from Poland and you definitely understand this the Soviet Union uh, you could see like the weakness of Soviet Union that relied on oppression and uh, basically authoritarianism you know when they um, intervened in Czechoslovakia in uh, Hungary uh, using military forces it shows like basically showed the weakness of uh, Warsaw Pact and all these ideas in comparison to NATO countries where like France for example could leave NATO uh, and actually it's, it's interesting that the headquarters of NATO were in Paris so they kind of like yes had to say had to say au revoir you know to uh, <laughs> to these beautiful views and then they moved to Brussels um uh, yeah, so it's uh, like the strength of NATO, of course, during the Cold War, I guess, was in its flexibility because also Greece uh, uh, quit the NATO when it needed. Because uh, it wasn't the lines of oppression and every country, even now, I mean, has like a right to say, well, I don't want to be there, part of NATO, and that's fine. Uh, whereas even now with Russia, you see the, the whole tendency when uh, it's not it's not for the country to decide whether you want to be the part of this uh, like empire or alliance, Russian 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 led alliance. It's more like uh, the given fact, and you just need to commit to it because you know uh, Russia has a lot of power, and Soviet Union. I mean, back then had so much power, then you don't you can they could just send troops and. Yeah. Um, the, yes, that's a very, very good point. As you, as you said, Greece can quit NATO whenever they want to. France can quit NATO whenever they want to. When you quit the Warsaw Pact, as Hungary did in 1956, you get invaded by the Soviet Union. Um, which is uh, puts really an uh, interesting uh, dimension to the uh, discussion about the superiority, like military superiority of the West and the East. Because maybe on paper the Warsaw Pact was stronger than NATO in Europe, at least. Uh, but the morale of the armies were very, you know, questionable. I know that Warsaw uh, Pact war plans against the West, for example, um, they really didn't want to use. Uh, Polish troops against American troops because they were certain that Polish troops would not want to fight Americans. So the war plans always put Polish troops somewhere to fight the Germans, but not the Americans. Uh, so 
I'm not sure if the Soviet Union could rely on the loyalty of those fighting forces, while the West was pretty much stronger in this, yeah. In this manner. Yeah, and I guess uh, then let's uh, switch to our, uh, after the pause, let's switch to our second um, part of the conversation where we talk more about the end of the Cold War and how the NATO proceed. Oh, and we're now coming to uh, the second part of uh, our episode, and that's the discussion that basically relates to the end of the Cold War and what happened to NATO alliance, its enlargement in 90s and zeros. Yeah, and basically how this um, the idea of, you know, just hopes and idea of peace in Europe, finally peace in Europe after the end of the Cold War, turned into the conflict with Russia and, yeah, Vice versa, I guess now it, you know, we definitely not live in a certain a peaceful time in terms of uh, uh, the tensions are really high between um, Russia and NATO. Yeah, which is um, um, very interesting. Uh, after uh, the the end of the Cold War, everybody thought, okay, that's the end of uh, competition between the East and the West because there's no East anymore. So the entirety of the uh, Cold War security competition never led to war. You could say that deterrence worked on both sides. Uh, the Soviet Union lost the Cold War more from economic and nationalistic reasons than in any military conflict. Um, and we reached 1991, the Soviet Union is dissolved, but NATO is still in place. And now we have the question, okay, what do we do now? What is the purpose of NATO? Which brings us to the discussion. Yeah, exactly. What was the purpose of NATO after the collapse of the Soviet Union? I guess interesting you mentioned that Soviet Union can lost uh, the Cold War. But this, again, this is kind of with assumption and this conceptual thinking in a way like mainly Americans think, I would say, and they pose this idea because like people like Gorbachev, they did not feel like they, they lost the war. They just... Um, the idea was that uh, they ensured peace via, you know, peaceful peaceful means so they didn't stick to you know i mean they basically said well okay, okay we withdraw our troops from germany from all parts of the uh eastern europe but you know then we want to have peace so like with the garbage of the idea was uh, to actually ensure peace via peaceful means and not via kind of any conflict measures so and this is also interesting because i feel like yeah most americans still i mean it will be forever like this but they will feel uh, we'll we'll say yeah like uh, of course like Russia now would never like want to say yeah we lost like uh, the Cold War even if it's true but in terms of it's just like interesting to play around this idea because for Gorbachev he didn't lose the war uh, he didn't like lose the war he basically you know showed that uh, the hope for peaceful future can be achieved when people work together and stuff like this um, I guess yeah the the, con the the purpose I mean of NATO. Uh, after after the dissolution uh, of Soviet Union was, I get actually interesting question for all policymakers in Europe because, uh, on the one hand, um, they, I guess they didn't want they didn't want to break this idea of the West because it was so important, especially after uh, German unification because they still probably were some countries like Britain and France that were afraid of uh, German power, um, but on the other hand, like military alliance and it um, lost its purpose because again why would you need to have something that was uh, the basically um, 
um, the relic of Cold War when there is no Cold War. Um, I would say until uh, it, it tried to, of course, like policymakers were working at NATO, they tried to reinvent like the whole idea because, of course, they didn't want to lose the job, and you know, uh, the. Uh, but then the Americans, I feel, uh, they wanted to in maximize and increase their power, and then that's why the goal like went all in with this uh, idea of enlargement, where basically Russia couldn't resist it because, I mean, it was broken. I mean, in nineties, it uh, was yeah. really broken country. So as you said, NATO was really reinvented um, after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, the policymakers in the U.S. pretty much felt that. Um, well, they're in charge now. They're the only superpower left uh, on the surface of the earth. So, but we still had this, you know, military alliance. We still had this uh, huge army. So, what do we do with it? Uh, they had very good intentions. They wanted to spread democracy in the world and uh, to expand the influence of democratic ideas. And and it seemed to be working. Many former. Uh, uh, totalitarian states in Eastern Europe, they turned democratic. They wanted to join NATO and, and they joined NATO. They were admitted. So you had this um, idea that you could make the entire world democratic through the institutions that were established for democracies uh, during the Cold War. Uh, and NATO was one of them. NATO was repurposed as, um, let's say, the military branch of the uh, liberal democratic international institution system. Yeah, but then it's until the time when they actually had their first military operation in Kosovo. And uh, you can imagine, you know, policymakers in Moscow. I mean, there was like famous uh, prime minister. He was on his way to Washington and he basically over Atlantic, he ordered to turn back his plane because uh, he received information about bombings in, in Kosovo. I mean, before that, actually NATO alliance uh, had never had never had a military operation until 90s and like operation in Kosovo is like very first military operation of NATO alliance, which is interesting actually to think because uh, they did not have like such operations during Cold War, but then uh, out of a, like sudden they needed this alliance to have like, you know, military operations after the Cold War. And also there was like, like the idea of creating, uh, of course, other European uh, or pan-European security organizations, uh, which called like uh, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, OSCE, basically, which was created at the end of the Cold War. And then they issued even the chapter uh, of the organization, uh, I guess it was uh, after, after the, when the, after, after the dissolution of Soviet Union, they created an organization out of this conference. And the, the, the chapter was called something like Peace in Europe or the Hope for Peace in Europe or something like this. I mean, pretty much, you know, uh, symbolic in terms of we start a new chapter of peaceful Europe. Um, and the idea, of course, was to, to uh, basically, I guess, turn something like NATO into OECE because OECE basically sticks to same ideas about democracy, about economy, about uh, human rights. It's, I mean, it's the same type of ideas that you see uh, in NATO, but um, then, and I guess Russia, Russia really hoped that uh, 
it could turn OSCE where it had a, a say, where it had like a word in terms of it. It's pretty powerful organization still in OSCE in terms of budgeting and uh, in terms of like directing its uh, development. So it could be, it, it could, it could like something NATO would dissolve and OSCE would become something like a new NATO in terms of, um, and there were like many brilliant ideas about uh, um, uh, confidence security building measures, basically limiting number of troops in Europe, all brilliant ideas. They now they didn't work out, but yeah, I mean, uh, what I'm, what I guess I'm saying is, uh, it's interesting that this period of time, like NATO became actually a very militarized organization, uh, fighting in Kosovo. Um, um, yeah. And, uh, of course, after that, it took a new role with the combat of terrorism, but uh, in nineties, I would say the whole uh, the whole idea of accepting new members was uh, just tricky because yeah, I mean some people, I mean and of course people in Warsaw and just uh, people from Poland would argue, and you know if if Poland wants to join NATO, why should shouldn't it join NATO? Well, I guess you can ensure the security of Poland via other means without you know basically. Um, kind of without basically irritating Russia, because for Russia, of course, NATO is uh, uh, is just a military organization created against it. So, so what do you do you think, Vava? Because it's interesting. You are from Poland, and of course, I mean, I totally understand uh, from some perspective, you know, the argument that you know, if Poland wants to join, if Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, they want to join, why shouldn't they join? Why would why would any country say no to they do this? But um, then I think about not their interests, because their interests are pretty obvious uh, to be secure uh, and stuff like this, but from the perspective of European security and, you know, I feel it was like just a bad development from American side. So, yeah, I think it's uh, important to distinguish that there's this like dichotomy in terms of motivations for NATO expansion. Uh, the Western members of NATO, they clearly were riding on the wave of enthusiasm uh, for democracy after the fall of the Soviet Union. And uh, they wanted to admit more democracies into the system. They wanted to integrate more democratic uh, countries into their institutions, and NATO was one of them. So, hell yeah, let's do this. We can expand further to the east. Let's admit Poland. Let's admit all the Baltic states. Uh, and even Ukraine and Georgia, there were talks of that. Uh, it's just this, you know, enthusiasm for uh, the Western ideas and values in uh, in the West, basically. But, uh, while... but then, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I just just want to comment then, just because so I I, I won't I won't forget. But the idea is like then you kind of differentiate West. You know, you say like Ukraine is a West, but then, you know Russia is not a West. Which is for me, it's like super strange because you know basically people share same language, same culture. But then you have like this strange idea that well, people living um, like let's just you go to the border between like you know they speaking all Russian, I don't even speak Ukrainian there. They go to the border and then you say well you cross the border and now it's a democratic country. Then you cross the border, it's not like it's it's the West and then it's not the West. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know uh, what you it's mean. It's like like why? I mean, in terms of like all cultures. I mean, all Christian countries uh, are Western in its core. In terms of, um, they have like they share like this basic ideas about uh, human dignity and Christianity and blah blah blah, but just creating this uh, camps of you know West and non-West because by excluding Russia, of course, that's 
strange and interesting for me. And and I, I still feel they they kind of like American policymakers uh, think it's normal to to think about like Ukraine as a West and Russia is not a West. For me, again, it's it's just a nonsense. It's like it doesn't make any sense because it's same cultures and same you know religion, same everything basically. Yeah, it's a it's a made up concept, but very deeply rooted in the minds of people. Uh, and I think it's rooted in the minds uh, of people on both sides of the barricade. I also think that uh, Russian policymakers have this uh, idea in their head that they're in some way very dis- you know very different and distinctive from the West, and that they have this um. You know, third Rome mentality. Still, I don't. I don't think they necessarily think they are different from the West, but I would definitely agree with the idea that they think they are special in some sense. You know, I mean, yes, and they are special. Yeah, and they are special. I think they think about like Russia thinks about itself as like as a Western country, but special. But in the, in the same way, the U.S. is special. You know, you cannot really compare the U.S. and Germany. And the same thing, you know, like you can't really compare Russia and Germany because it's like different stages in power in history. And it's like the country that, you know, won Second World World War II. I mean, and there's like the powerful idea that, yes, Russia is still the West, I guess. Um, but um, um, yeah, but uh, the Russia has its like in mind this imperial idea that it's as the US does because the US is totally imperial power uh, like just this idea that it's special and unique in some form or another yeah and I'm, and I'm going back to the um, topic of perspective of Eastern European countries who joined NATO uh, security was their main concern because let's be honest imagine that you're a policymaker in Warsaw and you know the history of your country that has been invaded by Russia on multiple occasions during the last 300 years and even more. Uh, and now you have a chance to have a standing def- defense uh, commitment from an overseas great power, which is, uh, which was, you know, always pretty, uh, pretty supportive of you and you have never had any issues with them. And their your main enemy is also their main enemy. So I think it's the best way to guarantee your security is just join the cool kids club and um, antagonize Russia further. And, um, you know, many people say that the expansion of NATO uh, antagonized Russia. And yes, I agree to some extent, but many people just didn't care. You know, it's uh, especially in Eastern Europe, uh, realism says it's a self-help world. And if you, if joining NATO is your best bet of survival, then you don't care if it pisses Russia off. You just go ahead and do this because it's a matter of your survival. So um, I wouldn't say that there was any like malicious uh, intentions of like you know stirring up conflict. It's just people uh, pursuing their own security interests, which were different for Russians, different for the Poles, and different for Germans. Yeah, I totally agree. And this is just idea because like clearly Poland, like Lithuania, Latvia and like even Germany, I mean, they all subscribe to the idea that they have, I wouldn't call it superior, but in NATO, we still know that it's all about, I mean, in terms of like there is one, um, I would say kind of teacher, you know, like the master of this organization because they, they all exist in the world where if there is an organization, there should be some kind of sort of master in, in this organization. Like the guy who told, like tells you how to behave and what to do, right? right? And of course, like uh, like for Poland and for Latvia, Lithuania, but it was idea. Like it was just uh, it was fine to subscribe to this idea that well, like then the US like tells us how to behave and what to do with our economy and stuff like this. 
uh, which is, I mean, they basically did with this like called Washington Consensus when like economists from Washington uh, basically sent uh, uh, orders to economists in other countries, like you know even to Russia, basically to kind of you know navigate their economies, so to speak. Uh, it's like low. I mean, there's like whole whole idea of uh, Washington uh, Consensus uh, with low interest rates. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not an economist, but yeah, you can check it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, they they subscribe to it, but the whole thing. I mean, Russia probably would never, of course, subscribe to some foreign influence in any kind of form. And this is also the problematic because when Russia talks about NATO, it doesn't really mean that it would become part of NATO as other countries. Like It, it doesn't really mean that it would give up its power. And um, it means probably, as they call it, like the uh, equal kind of like, you know, via maybe OSCE um, structure, like the alliance of equals or something like this, but not... But not, but not inferior. Of course, Russia would never subscribe to the idea that it's it's inferior uh, in the alliance. So it it must have in in this that way uh, the same kind of power in the organization as the U.S. does. The same as goes for like in, like UN Security Council because they they actually equal in all you know in all sense in all senses. But uh, with NATO, it's problematic because uh, of course uh, they they it was based as uh, the U.S. led organization and. Uh, we discuss it. It's you know you can you can easily you are free to do in this organization whatever you want, and they still uh, consult and they still kind of find common ground and consensus. But it's still organization where it's like one master, and this master is of course the United Na- the United States, um, undoubtedly. And yeah, the supremacy of the United States was very visible uh, di- during the period after the collapse of the Soviet Union. We have had the NATO expansion and. Uh, Afterwards, NATO was employed um, pretty much mostly uh, in you know U.S.-led missions, be it in uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina and Kosovo, and then the war on terror when you know Article Five was invoked. Basically, an attack on one member of the alliance is an attack on all. And it's important to say that those NATO um, uh, interventions and operations were uh, very often not sanctioned by the US uh, by the UN Security Council. So this there's this question of legitimacy uh, about those operations. Uh, after the uh, Second World War, the UN was established so that we wouldn't have this very unilateral exercise of power and interventions so that the uh, quote-unquote international community would decide together what's best for the world. And in those NATO interventions, we didn't really have that. It was very, maybe not unilateral because it was a multilateral alliance, but it didn't uh, seek the approval of the entire international community. So you could see how certain the West was of their superiority uh, after the collapse of communism, that they didn't really need this legitimacy of the UN to pursue military operations, which I'm sure uh, destroyed the image of... uh, the West and the eyes of many non-Western people. Yeah, they were, I mean, hypocritical. And as you mentioned, yeah, just the idea that the end of history and the US, uh, again, I would say this word won, but I mean, it's just bad characteristic of what probably happened because, uh, of course, Soviet Union, you know, could fire up, uh, how to say it, the fire, fire up situation when it was collapsing, like 
come on, like, of course it could like, you know, order troops in Germany to do something and to invade some other country. Why not? Because we are still collapsing. But they instead, they kind of like um, did this peacefully. They just like, all right, we kind of like uh, withdraw our troops. Everything is perfect. Uh, but like, let's have a nice, uh, let's have a nice way to uh, cooperate with each other in the future. So they created this organization. But yeah, no, uh, we are the way we are. Uh, and I guess now, I guess we'll discuss some uh, current situation. Yeah. And yeah, now I guess uh, we discuss current situation and a little bit look into the future. Uh, as, in the, as we discussed, Munich Security Conference and they Biden assured, like, you know, uh, alliance, uh, not alliance, but at least in Europe, that alliance is... Uh, uh is is still vibrant and it's it's still uh, it will basically yeah we are sure the whole uh the west that uh, the west still is important and exists and uh, he's going to push back against russia and i guess the interesting development is this idea to turn nato also into like world alliance of democracy so you know probably to include south korea and japan in order to counter uh china which is i don't know whether it's gonna happen i mean i don't see how like i say germany france maybe because they have some good navy uh some pretty i mean pretty third 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 i mean either like either third or fourth, fourth navy in terms of its power if you if you just if you compare them um, and also they have some small islands <laughs> but uh i mean for other countries like germany yeah, for like from Poland, for poland for example stick poland or lithuania what who cares like what's happening in south china sea they cannot really influence politics there it's like business of like asian countries so for me it's I don't know. NATO is. I just see it's now. It's of course it's deterrent against Russia, but the way they think about like the future of um, again post-Soviet space, like you know Ukraine should become part of NATO or Georgia should become part of NATO or Belarus should become part of NATO. I don't know. This is I guess harmful ideas because they only. It's not that I again like with Poland. I don't really get like why Ukraine wants to become part of NATO because hell, hell yeah, it kind of faces. Uh, uh, 100 troops uh, at its border so to speak <laughs> uh, but but i mean the, from like the perspective of more like structuralist perspective and just persp about thinking about european security in a broader context it will only uh, kind of um put some yeah, oil on, on, into the fire because i do, because i don't see uh how like the current politics of nato can um can can be again peacefully uh, can peacefully end. Of course, they they think like you know the Putin goes away, uh, the Putin goes away, and autocracy fall, and they basically hope for the for the future where they're going to be some democratic president of Russia, and uh, he's going to have like very good intentions, and he's going to say yes to like you know uh, Georgian Georgian accession to NATO, something like the Ukrainian accession to NATO. But I think this won't happen just because. Uh, the idea that uh, NATO is a kind of like shady and tricky alliance is pretty much it's pretty much widespread in Russia. Uh, both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think that you're right. I think it's uh, the perceptions of NATO after the last uh, thirty years of its operations in Russia will be universally uh, pretty bad, and I don't see. Um, 
how the change of uh, a change of government in Moscow could really improve those relations between Russia and NATO, um, which is interesting because um, you can see that European countries, especially Western European countries, no longer view Russia as a major threat, especially if you're uh, Germany or France. Russia is pretty far away from you. You have those buffer states like Poland, Ukraine, Belarus between you and, and them. So you can see that um, Macron is talking about having better relations with Russia. Germans are constructing the inf infamous Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So... Um, I, you can see that NATO originally built to counter Russia. Well, it still has this, uh, still has this uh, mission, but not many members are so committed to it. And uh, you can see that mm, people in Washington uh, see this, and they see that the alliance isn't as coherent as it used to be because there's no one unifying enemy. Um, and the U.S. has growing security concerns in Asia. And so they need their military, uh, their military allies to be committed to the alliance. So the best way to do that is have a common enemy, which is, I believe, what Biden is doing by saying that he will, uh, you know, take a very strong stance against Russia. He wants to mobilize uh, the, his European allies to contribute more to the alliance, be it by increased military spending or just, you know, commitments that they make. Uh, so. As the U.S. is getting more and more engaged in China, they want to reassure their, their allies that, yes, we are still committed to your alliance and we ask you to be committed in case we have some problems in Asia. Uh, so NATO still has the same problems it had in the last 30 years. It needs to reinvent itself. But I think it has an easier time now than it used to uh, have like 10 years ago because now it's the threat from Russia is more credible. Uh, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, made it simple to sell the idea that Russia is an expansionist state. Um, and then I guess the U.S. might want to create either a NATO equivalent in Asia or expand NATO into Asia to counter the growth of China. But then again, this is not in the interest of European allies. So there needs to be some very strong unifying factor, and for the time being, it is still Russia, even though the threat of Russia isn't as salient as it used to be during the Cold War. I would say because of, uh, you know, they have this uh, battalion, so they have, I guess, German, Canadian, and British battalions in Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. So you could see, yeah, it's, I mean, I would not say that, uh, like, for say, Germany, I mean, uh, France, uh, France is uh, France is just uh, he's just playing French French in terms of they just want to, to 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 they want to look independent, but they still you know when it they you know when like NATO really needs France because uh, they still benefit from good relations with uh, with with the US a lot. They're gonna be there and they're gonna like you know subscribe to everything they do. I still I I guess like France is also a little bit hypocritical because there's also a little bit a lot of let's say. Um, like the pole, like there is there is a lot of uh, this kind of like creation of uh, its image because France is kind of losing its positions in the world. Of course, no one thinks about France as powerful country anymore, but they still kind of you know have this. Uh, it's actually imperial 
past uh, and you know when there was like a fo- like the war in uh, in uh, Alger- Algeria um, they kind of forced people to tell like to say like you know, Algeria is, is France which is like sounds a little bit ridiculous but you know I mean they are pretty imperial and I guess they're just playing around with this concept that they still have some power in the world and they are unique so one of the things they can do of course is like to, to propose uh, because Germany is way more pro-American than France to propose something like uh, new relations with Russia, but I guess it's really it's really good for them to play this card that you know Russia is autocracy, because then they say we are lines of democracy. They every time they say they every time, uh, but then you see it's not particularly true because you know there are countries like Turkey, which is in no it's like in all rankings in the world it's autocracy, uh, the same sort of as not the same sort of but close to i mean it's also like hard to quantify democracy in like uh, points but i mean it's autocratic country and the same goes for hungary for example which is also autocratic country ruled by one person with like the um killings and uh, suspension of human rights activists um come on like they want people i mean in turkey it's like it's actually horrible it's there was like a massive um Mm, going, like, uh, just massive a- actions uh, against activists and journalists and they basically were all jailed after this uh, attempted coup so yeah I guess uh, I don't know for me NATO I just feel it's a very hypocritical organization and probably there is also um, some truth to like just this idea that NATO should exist because people who work in NATO at NATO or just like a State Department uh, in in this direction they don't want to lose their jobs and of course they need to come up with some ideas how to present NATO and give financing and you know um, but I just I just I just feel um, this problem won't go away. And it's it's here like forever and oh, forever. I mean, uh, I don't know forever, <laughs> not forever. But I mean, in terms of for some period of time, it's here. And of course, uh, just um, any agreement with Russia will include the agreement about NATO enlargement further, or something like this, or NATO dis- disem- disembodiment uh, altogether. Otherwise, this cannot be cannot be. Um, I would say. Uh, it can it can be solved this problem because again like this uh, the idea of NATO en- enlargement uh, really played to Putin's hands in terms of such people like such person came to power on this idea of nationalism again Putin was actually one of the first nationalists in our time because he he played like this nationalist card saying that you know Russia would never be like as I mentioned before uh, inferior and then he had this famous Munich. Uh, speech in the Munich Security Conference where he basically, you know, said that uh, look at the US, what they're doing, they're basically hegemons, they're basically imperial power, which is true, I mean, you know, you couldn't really, when you listen to the speech, you could see if you, like, don't take Putin as a personality, as who Putin is, like, the words he told, I mean, there is, like, some truth to them, because they he was just said... Um, uh, they're doing everything against us, and how can we, like, you know, just uh, sit and do nothing? And then happened, after his speech actually happened, Georgia and then Crimea. Um, so uh, I, I hope, uh, I guess, I guess people should try to think differently out of the box and try to find solutions, uh, taking into account that Russia is autocracy, you know, and um, just try to talk to each other, because otherwise uh, they're still very dangerous developments in Europe right now. Um, 
Yeah, but um, you know, I think that NATO uh will remain as it is for pretty much longer time still because it benefits people who are members of NATO. It still benefits the U.S. because they have a very strong bargaining bargaining card against Russia. It benefits uh, the Europeans, uh, you know, for Eastern Europeans, it's a security arrangement. For the Western Europeans, it pretty much allows them, countries like Germany, to free ride on the American-provided security as well, so that they can spend their budgets for different stuff than armament. And um, the only thing that I can imagine that NATO could be transformed, I don't see it dissolving at all. It's still uh, very much embedded in the Western idea and... Um, and basically policy. The only uh, idea I would maybe have for transforming NATO for the future is turning it into a, uh, what was proposed at the beginning of the Cold War, into a collective security arrangement. So it wouldn't be uh, aimed at an external threat, but incorporating more and more countries that would willingly join, uh, of course, uh, and saying, hey, if one member of the alliance attacks another member of the alliance, everyone will go after the aggressor. So the only idea I have is transforming it into a collective security arrangement in terms of a collective defense arrangement. Um, other than that, I, feel, I think NATO is here to stay, even if it does not have a clearly defined purpose. Yeah, I guess that's that's totally true uh, in terms of uh, I, I agree with you on all these points. Um, and also, I mean, yeah, but the idea is, again, when when if they try to transform it and into like this collective security arrangement, then there is always a question who is like the master and who is the leader in this organization. And of course, like as, as we've discussed like, uh, before, you know, Russia would never subscribe to being inferior somehow. So I guess it's difficult, but I guess, uh, but at the same time, we should understand, you know, that the military spending grows, that like they know new technologies emerge. And this is all sort of, uh, dangerous development because we all think oh yeah you know we survived the cold war and it was fine and actually the world came to nuclear um, nuclear winter and just nuclear uh, calamity only a couple of times so so what so what you know we just we're going to survive this uh, confrontation but then we forget that this is like different time and it, like in soviet union was mostly interested in preserving status quo it wasn't uh, trying to it wasn't revisionist like you know like Germany before World War Two, but Russia right now is like as they call it is a revisionist country because it wants to it's, it wants other stages it wants other it wants other resources in the system so it basically tries to kind of tries to pave its way to better status and position which. Um, sounds like it can lead to conflict it, it, it did you know for germany before world war ii because it, did, it wasn't satisfied with this position after world war one um so i guess this is a tricky question in terms of uh, how it will play out and um, uh, people should never like just just you know uh believe that all these military dudes uh like playing with nukes and you know they're gonna like save us and they, because at the end of the day, it's all about peace, and uh, it's better not to be in this situation at all than just be in this situation. Because when you are in this situation, um, everything can happen, especially with all these like new military drones and technologies and cyber attacks. And yeah, so yes, I guess I guess that's it for today. I guess so. It's extensive. Very Enjoyed interesting it. topic. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and um, subscribe to our channels, rate us, recommend to friends, and I guess see you soon. Goodbye.